right. Hey, folks. Um, I'm back this time without my usual co-host on Is There Gay Stuff In It? Becca's on a road trip right now, and I told her, don't worry, take the time off, because I had an ace in the hole I was going to pull in on this episode. <laughs> so what we're doing this time is I was fortunate enough to receive a advanced copy of the new High Women album. That's a country music album, country supergroup, uh, featuring four very distinct popular females who have their own careers, but they've come together and decided to, in a sense, do their take on the old male supergroup of country music, the Outlaws Highwaymen album. And so I thought, as soon as I found out that I could get this advanced copy, I was like, well, who do I want to bring on this show? My is there gay stuff in it? <laughs> you know, pretty much uh, leaning towards a lesbian entertainment show than my good male friend, Mark Bricky. Hello, Mark. Connie, how are you? A pleasure to be on your show. I have long seen myself as an ally, both for the LGBTQ community and the country music community. So it, this hits all of the, the, the boxes that I like to check off. Exactly. As soon as this came up, I was like, you know, there there isn't another fella that I could think of talking about this with. I could, I could get some folks that, you know, are down with the uh, the LGBTQ, down with music, but not country music, probably. But you being my Kentucky brethren, uh, my hillbilly buddy, I knew that you grew up like I did with a, whether we wanted to or not, uh, being surrounded by country music. Absolutely. Uh a ritual of my childhood that will always be sacred to me is I remember my Momo, which is what we called our grandmother, uh, who's from the hills of Kentucky. I remember my Momo saying, Marky, it's about bath time. On Saturdays, we take the bath early, and I she'd comb my little soft hair. You know, no, there was no conditioner in the seventies, only shampoo. So she'd she'd comb my little soft hair and put me in front of the TV, and me and my Momo would watch Hee Haw at seven o'clock every uh saturday night and it was a religion and it's still there's still when i hear things that remind me of of hee haw that like put that lump at the back of my throat because it was such a special time that i spent with my grandmother yeah you know one of the things that i do religiously and people on facebook either love me or hate me for it is i watch all the country music award shows mm. because i grew up watching them with my parents my mom especially i remember those nights too yeah, I mean, you're on there and you're looking for Loretta Lynn to come out in that big chiffon, you know, coal miner's daughter dress. And you're, you're looking for Conway Twitty with the sideburns and George Jones with the hair. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it was just the best of times for country music. For something that and, was supposed to be so manly, they sure did peacock it when they got on that stage. Like They, they looked more like uh, Vegas show types than cowboys. Oh, absolutely. There was so much hairspray used yeah. on George Jones' hair that it's a wonder that he didn't end up in some sort of incident with that combination of alcohol and hairspray that, that he had going on there. It makes me feel like I might not be the only person that would have an understanding of the gay community and country music, if you know what I mean. <laughs> possibly. Possibly. So country music is, and has always been in my life, my parents were big um, big music fans of all types, but country music was the go-to. And so I got an appreciation of it from early age. And sounds like you did too with Momo, still the lady that I most wish I'd met in my life. But you know, country music was just, it was my childhood soundtrack. Like I had to actively pursue rock and roll, but country music was like from the house. Like, you know, when we got our first ever stereo, like a boom box, my dad bought that Hank Williams Jr.'s greatest hits cassette. 
man <laughs> <laughs> which is just stacked with so many classics it is it is and you know folks like myself and, and you and we tell people now that we like country music we always have to preface it with oh real country music or old country music because people think that what's on the radio now is supposed to be country music and and it isn't it's 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 basically pop yeah it's run by the big machine and i don't know when things changed I mean, I do know when they changed, but I don't know why they changed. Because back when you and I were, were little ones running around, women were all over the country radio. Yeah, for Loretta, sure. Loretta Lynn was a staple. Tammy Wynette. You could go down to Barbara Mandrell, Lynn Anderson, Donna Fargo. I mean, yeah. I, can, I can just name off and just keep going forever if I wanted to. The female voices that we heard on those little car radios on trips or around the house. And you bring up a good point because I almost remember listening to country music as a child and it would be one to one. There'd be a female song, there'd be a, a, a guy song. And then country music to me is where I first remember hearing duos or duets. And that's kind of a lost art form, which is kind of what we're going to get into today, right? Is like that's kind of not something that, that happens as much or. You know, there's a lot of collaboration in music, but country music was the king of the duets in the 70s. Oh, and the duets. I mean, George and Tammy, Conway and Loretta. Yeah. And then you had, guess who came along and busted that all up? Waylon and Willie. Yeah. And, you know, the one that really stands out to me a lot is, because I probably heard this song 10,000 times when I was a child, is Islands in the Stream. Oh, man. Because <laughs> we rely and- on each other. Ha, ha. I love that little ha, ha. <laughs> Kenny and Dolly. I mean, yeah. couldn't be two more different folks. No, I think. No. And, and she really upped his cool factor by a lot. For sure. And I always, you know, now having a lifetime of being in the music industry and in the entertainment industry, when I hear songs like that as an adult, I think, did the artist come up with this or did one of the agents go, hey, hey, Terry. If you could get Kenny to agree with this, I know I've got Dolly on board. If we can get them to come yeah. together, cha-ching, you know what I mean? Like, because it was such a business transaction, a song like that. It was. And I wonder about that too. And specifically with the topic that we're talking about today, this High Women album is back then, it seemed like everybody in Nashville, all these country stars that we knew, it seemed like they knew each other. Yes. Like they, it did feel like a clubhouse. Her. They hung around at Johnny Cash's house doing a songwriting circle and, you know, then June's probably cooking and, you know, the Carter family comes over or whatever. Or, you know, Dolly and, and Loretta knew each other. And so maybe they, you know, hung out or, or, of course, we know Patsy Cline and Loretta did. So those kind of things, I think, maybe organically made a lot of that stuff happen. And I feel like that that, you know, wouldn't happen anymore because artists are, seem to be so driven by different things there you know you've got to be out on the road now right there isn't time to just hang out in nashville and hang out with your buddies and you know maybe on on lower levels but not on the level of of some of the bigger stars well you bring up a good point because the world was so much smaller back then and you're right like part of the pageantry or the storytelling of country music is we're all friends and there was almost like you know daddy introduced me to her and then this little girl who used to play songs in our front porch she went on to become loretta lynn like everybody had a neighbor that just so happened to be you know a, a 10 million album sign uh selling country music star you know and they would tell you these stories so yeah you make you bring up a good point because it was even the same in the uh like a lot of the preachers were related back then Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was just like there was a couple of families that just had all the juice and ran with it. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember uh, watching one episode of Pop Goes the Country. Remember that TV show? It aired in Nashville every week, and they would have like a little. St- Ralph Emery hosted it, and there would be a little stage I set think up. I and- remember that. They would have two to three country artists come by a, a week and sing whatever their latest thing was. It was, you know, shows that we don't have anymore. Right. Where people just came and, and did a variety type thing and sang their music and went on. But I remember Connie Smith, who was a huge female country act, being on there. And she was out there in the dress and the hair was all done up. And Ralph Emery comes over to talk to her after she finishes her song. And he's like, you know, can you do can you do another one for her? She's like, Ralph, I got some beans on the stove. I got to go. <laughs> I got to get back home. So I just pictured, you know, she's over there cooking up some beans. And she's like, what time am I going to be over there? Pop goes the country. And then she's got to get her hair done. Get yeah, the gown yeah. on, get over there. And she knew when she had to get back for those beans. Meanwhile, that the crock the most- pot's just grinding in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most country thing to me. And, I th- and so much of that has gotten lost. And I feel like that's, you know, why country music is it's now it's this new thing where it's, it's the big glitzy and, and it isn't the down home thing. And so those connections are lost. And I feel that this highway or this high women album, I almost said highway women, <laughs> which <laughs> has a been a real, thing. yeah, it's been a real tongue twister there because highway men, you know, is so rolls right off the tongue. Right. I, I kind of wondered when they didn't call it highway women, but I, I, I got their description that they're, they're talking about elevating women to an exalted status and and not high as in smoking weed which right. is what i'm sure everyone thinks that it is but this the seeds of this were started by amanda shires who is a uh singer a fiddle player or violinist i don't know which one she likes to be called she's um been around for several years and she had the idea that you know there aren't any women on country radio why aren't there women mm-hmm. being played what can we do about this and so she um got together with brandy carlisle who we you and i've discussed many times that i'm a big big fan of and i know you are too and and she's been out there plugging around since golly for probably 13 or 14 years now i remember you mentioning that she was one of the biggest artists that when you worked with the independent music industry yes that they were they were touting there were two artists well there were three artists that i saw the coalition of independent music stores get behind really early and get on them very very strong and and they were right three times. One of them was John Mayer. I had his first album, Room for Squares, way before anyone else did, and we were working that. And then the other two acts that um, the then president, Don Van Cleve, a, a real well-known in the music scene, he got really behind a, a group of four boys by the name of Kings of Leon, and <laughs> his other pick that just really, you know, his eyes would just glisten when he would talk about Brandy Carlisle. And so um, I had some of her songs before there was even a record, and, uh, you know, they said this is an artist that they thought that independent record stores could really give a home to. And if you think about the early 2000s, there wasn't yet a home for new country. You know, this, and I hate to say smart country, because that would mean that if you like the classic stuff that you're dumb, but it was a, a level of country, like the stuff that Jason Isabel does and the things that kind of came from Uncle Tuplo and Wilco, where it was kind of like kids like you and I that had country mm-hmm. music playing in the background in the seventies and the eighties mm-hmm. were like, well, I want to play the music I was raised on. So it was kind of, I hate to say young country cause that was stolen by Hank jr. And that means a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But There was a movement of country generate or country music for our generation and independent retail was really instrumental in that. And they thought with Brandy Carlisle that they had found an artist that they could move the needle with. And it wasn't easy. It took a while for her career to find footing. Yeah, it did. And I think that 
what helped was she's such a great live performer. Yeah. And, you know, we all know the touring and, and winning over those audiences will sustain you through some growing pains and Absolutely. some finding your own voice and those things. And, you know, they used to call it, what you, the time period you're talking about, they used to call it roots music or no depression. And then it became that catch-all term, now Americana, right. which people buck against the Americana. But Americana lets you come in with anything that's outside the box, I think. So I have... I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Americana, and I don't, you know, I think that people are going to put this High Women album in that Americana category, but when I listen to it, I'm getting more of like a straight-up traditional country yeah. vibe from it. Yeah, as I go through the track listing, it's almost like every song pays tribute to another genre or golden genre of country music. When I listen to it, I'm like, it kind of sounds like an episode of Hee Haw because they would have someone who was an outlaw and they would, you know, this record even has like a, a classic country uh, gospel song or, or Christian song on it, which is mm -hmm. another bizarre sweet tooth of mine. Cause it was something that I was raised on, you know, and like there's that old country classic, a turn the radio on, get in touch with God. And yeah. it's a great song, you know, it's yeah. maybe not my beliefs anymore, but it, it's a great song and it gives me the goosebumps. So they really, tackled a lot of genres and sort of the history of country ambitious for one record ambitious for one record that got put together i think fairly quickly and is dealing with four very different artists mm -hmm. you have brandy carlisle that we've already discussed uh amanda shires we've discussed then there's Marin morris who is just a breakout huge country star now she's just gone number one previous to this recording on the country charts um, she's had those crossover hits with Zed. She's done the the song that's been in the Target commercials. I mean, that's a big modern country career right there. Yeah. And then then you have Natalie Hemby, who is a very well respected Nashville songwriter. She's had hits with Miranda Lambert, Casey Musgraves. I mean, just a ton of. If you can find a catchy country song that's been a hit in the last little bit, she's got her fingerprints on it. So pulling four. You know, this had just been four ladies who were earlier in their career struggling, not busy, not making hits, not touring, try to get them together. It'd been a lot easier than this one. So getting this all thrown together with them, to me, is, has been an accomplishment. And I think a, what helped was getting the idea of that it was a reworking of the Highwaymen. Yeah. And so I think that people expected it to be some sort of outlaw country uh, statement by them. And it... That didn't make any sense to me when I was reading that. What did make sense was that they want, were about women and a sense of collaboration, not competition. Mm -hmm. um, there is a song on here that basically the Crowded Table song that you and I both mentioned as having, we like when they trade their voices off, but on this song, it was more of... I mean, you called it kids pop sound, but yeah. <laughs> that's just basically saying that it's all the voices harmonizing together through the whole song. And there are a couple songs like that on here. The Crowded Table song I took as saying, you know, I want a lot of voices at my table. I want everyone to participate. Um, there's a line in it about if you want to grow the garden, you've got to plant the seeds or mm -hmm. something like that in, in the song. And I think that song, while that's not my favorite on here, really is like their mission statement that if we all stop competing and we start collaborating and supporting each other, that there's room for more than one popular country female singer, which is, you know, there's one or two or three out there right now and that's it. And, and if you go and look at the number of male solo country singers, it just, it's just all over the place. 
anybody can get a song on country pop radio right now if you're a male and can get marketed correctly. It's even easier to be a rapper to get on country music right now than yeah. it is to be a woman. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. Um, Old Town Road is... I don't hate that song, but, yeah. uh, you know, does it belong on the country radio? Maybe it belongs on today's country radio, but I don't think it belongs on what we consider traditional country radio. Uh, and maybe not along with what these women are doing here. So, all right, let's 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 start with the first song. We're, we're not going to go through this and do a traditional, like, review. We're going to hit the high points and hit things that really caught us and caught our interest and stood out for us. So, when I first talked to you, Mark, and I said, hey, I've got this album. It's It's called... The High Women. It's by The High Women. And you said, wait a minute, are they going to do the High Women song? <laughs> and I said, well, they're going to do their version of that. Yeah. And I, I love that instantly you were like telling me how that song really touches you. The Highway Men song. It's, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, when they get to the the, the line of uh, I'll, I'll come back as a single drop of rain. I don't know how they do it, but there's this technology where a single drop of rain somehow goes down my little cheek. And uh, I don't know. I always thought that that song, what that song said to me, and, and th- you know, this is me being a little boy and listening to this song back when it came out, but it reminded me that a lot of brave men had paid a lot of sacrifices to build this world that I took for granted. And I had never really thought about that, you know, that men died on ships trying to discover new lands and and figure out what this place looked like that men had died working on dams you know like mm-hmm. a dam, dam building's not even a thing that i'd ever considered right or working on the actual highways and then you know obviously growing up in the south you're you're raised to give a lot of respect and 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 tribute to the military but you know you you just kind of never really think about the individual you think of the broad strokes and so you take these four voices that i was raised on and let them tell those stories and it it's one of the most important songs of my childhood. And to this day, whenever I hear it, you know, the hair stands up on the arm and it reminds me of the journey that I've traveled in my own life. It's a really perfect song and, and it always was. And you can ask any kind of fan of country and they know that song. And it's well written. The stories are great. Just the way it sounds, the instrumentation, the whole thing. So that was a high mark. To, if they were going to do a, a female oriented version of that song, it had to be good. Absolutely. I think, Absolutely. I, I think they accomplished it. I, I did read some criticism online, which I wanted to point out that the word I most saw coming from men commenting on this song was this feels forced. No. And and that's a big, I no. argue with that. I, I, you know, I, it's your show and I don't want to take it from you, <laughs> but being a man and, and loving, like when I said the highway men, I said it made me think about a lot of men that had sacrificed. So obviously I'm on that journey, but this high woman song or high, am I saying it right? High woman song. High so woman, yeah. It doesn't roll, ladies. It doesn't no. roll off the tongue. It is so powerful and it's such a song that has like such a great status quo to it you know what i mean like the highway men song is like about as perfect as a collaboration you could imagine for mm-hmm. legends to get together not dropping the ball and like scuffing up you know like what makes them legendary these women took that high bar and raised it and it i have i've now listened to the song 10 times and i am 10 for 10 on getting choked up every time 
and it just boils the whole world down to me. Just be nice to women. That's all you got to do, guys, is just be nice to women because each one of these stories is more heartbreaking than the next. And it really comes from, from a perspective to me is that historically we have just been mean to women. They've been taken for granted. They've stood in the shadows. And all of these stories could also be told from a man's perspective about how he was the hero and she was forgotten. And it just it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah, they've taken um, people and subjects and topics that we as women who pay any attention to ourselves and our history, we know about these women and their journeys. But I don't think average people do. It's not taught in schools. You know, we don't get the female side of history in for very few instances. So we're getting basically they've replaced those highwaymen occupations with we have a mother bringing her family across the border she's a refugee oh my god gets me every time (laughs) spoiler alert um she doesn't make it but her she got her family across and then we have the idea of the healer who is taken as a witch and hanged in salem and we have a freedom rider who lost her life in the civil rights battles and then we have the teacher slash preacher role, which is just never seen as appropriate for a woman. You know, we discussed those evangelical people earlier, evangelists. And uh, I mean, who do you know besides Tammy Faye Baker? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Tammy Faye and that beautiful makeup job that she learned at Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. The, the thing about the healer one that really made me mad is that um, there's a lot of times that historically women have been pushed down because men are frightened you know they don't want to be challenged and the healer one is or the the last story is really a a tale of you know there's no reason why that woman couldn't be a preacher you know what i mean Mm -hmm. there's no reason at all other than a man would see that as a threat and how Mm -hmm. could how could she guide a flock because that's what i'm supposed to do um and going backwards the, the the civil rights woman it's like she chose to take that bus ride you know what I mean? Like there's a woman choosing to do the right thing on history and pays the, the ultimate consequence for it. And her mother asked her if the bus ride was worth her life. Was worth her life. Um, and, you know, the healer one or the, the woman who's claimed to be a witch. I mean, once again, that's just men being mean to women. You know, like if you were thought to be a witch, you got hung and there's. Mm-hmm. I feel like a man could get away with any of that or, you know, a civilization of people did all of that stuff, the Native Americans, and they were considered geniuses for figuring out how to turn everything in nature into its own individual God and celebration. And a woman does it, a white woman does it, and now, you know, she's a threat to everybody. Um, And then that first one, you know, the first one is the ultimate story of a woman, though. Women not only give life, but they sacrifice life. Yes, protect it protect it and you know i have a troubled relationship with my mom but that to me that first story is in essence what makes every woman great you know that that ability to not only create life but to give their own which no man will ever have the opportunity to do both of those things so it's a fucking emotional song man it's emotional in the telling of the stories and then towards the end when they all kind of join in and and the line that got me was you send our hearts to die in foreign lands yes and it's like 
you know, I know that men are affected, of course, when, you know, with war and, but the, me as having a son, if, if for some reason he was to be sent off to the Middle East or something right now, I mean, that it would, it would devastate me, it, you know, th that there might be something that would happen to him somewhere where I couldn't help him and I couldn't control him. And I think they, they really got that across there. I did want to give a shout out to the uh, singer that does the Freedom Rider um, section of this song is a guest performer named Yola. And man, it's just a high point in this song with okay. her vocals. So I'm I'm looking at these four white chicks and I'm hearing that part of the song and I go, You gotta be kidding me. No white woman has ever been able to sing like that in the history of singing. And I was so dumbfounded, I'm like, which one of these women can <laughs> cut it out like that? Because that type of soul only comes from uh, you know, th that community. And I was just like, You gotta be kidding me, one of these women can do that. Then I even went down the wormhole and watched them play it live and yeah. saw her come out and go, all right, the universe, <laughs> the universe right. is balanced. I now understand that they had to bring a woman out because really only a woman of color can tell that story and yes. sing it and give it justice. Yeah, that was a wise, wise decision. And it just really puts like a, a gravitas to this part mm -hmm. of the story. So since we have the technology to do it and we've been given the go ahead, do you want to drop in a little bit of the High Women song for the listeners? Yeah, let me grab my box of Kleenexes and, and get this going. But can can I point out real quick a couple of lyrics that kind of get lost? Sure. I don't think they're like the, the standout ones, but um, when they're all singing together, you know, the stories are fantastic. But when they're all singing together and say, we're the High Woman, singing stories still untold. We carry the sons you can only hold. That's so crazy. I mean, it's so crazy to me to really think about that. And then the one that really breaks me up is we are the daughters of the silent generations. And you said, as you said, you sent our hearts to die alone in foreign nations. But to me, it's like we are the daughter of the silent generations. Women for so long were taught just to smile, be polite. Don't get in the way, put your makeup on, look your best. And maybe if you look your best and don't eat a lot and don't become fat, maybe one day a guy will choose you. Yeah. Don't have an opinion. Yeah. Don't Blend challenge in. anyone. Don't stick up for yourself. Those are things that we, that we learn. One of the biggest ones is uh, like with our own bodies, you hear it so often and I hear it almost daily. Someone will say, give Uncle Joe a hug. Sit on uncle so-and-so's lap mm -hmm. smile first you know and it's like that if if you can instill anything in your daughters it's right. that your body is your own don't you know we, we we've seen my my little niece be pushed to like kiss someone goodbye or something and we're like don't if she doesn't want to do that don't make her do that you're you're setting her up for the rest of her life with those kind of things so that's just all of that, this, all of that is in this song, and they did it perfectly. And you're bringing up those lyrics. I do want to point out that they went back and got with the original writer of the first song, Jimmy Webb, to help rewrite this wow. in their vision. Yeah. So when when I've seen men online, and I haven't seen any women, that's why I'm saying men. I'm not piling on. My research and my data point to this <laughs> that men have said, yeah, this is forced. Well, go tell Jimmy Webb that. Because yeah. he participated in the writing. It's his original song. If this is a product he felt good putting out and he felt good contributing to, I don't see how you can have an opinion that it's forced. I don't know how anybody could be threatened by this song or put it down. And I mean, even if it is forced, let's say that it is forced. 
if you're a father of a young girl, how would you not want her to hear this song and want more for her life? And also know the that she is a part of uh, this long, uh, you know, heritage of being bigger than yourself. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I, I really don't. But then again, that's, there's some things that you and I will never understand. And this is one of them. All right. You want me to play the song now? I want you to play a little bit of this song. Yeah. All right. Let me get my tissues ready. Okay. You ready over there with your, with your Kleenex? I got it ready. I was a high woman and a mother from my youth. For my children, I did what I had to do. My family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas. We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico. Every one of them except for me survived, and I am still alive. I was a healer. I was gifted as a girl. I laid hands upon the world. Someone saw me sleeping naked in the noon sun. I heard witchcraft in the whispers, and I knew my time had come. The bastards hung me at the Salem gallows hill, but I am living still. I was a freedom rider when we thought the South had won. Virginia in the spring of 61. I sat down on the Greyhound that was bound for Mississippi My mother asked me if that ride was worth my life And when the shots rang out I never heard the sound But I am still around And I'll take that ride again and again and again Man, oh man, is that not just a powerful, powerful song? Oh yeah, it's a testament to a great song, a thoughtful reworking of it, great singing, and I mean, it's it's just, I don't have a problem with that song at all. If anyone does, I just don't understand them. So let's move on to Redesigning Women. Okay, so now that we've praised them, and yeah. I've got my opinions out saying what a great song this is. Probably the biggest mistake they've made in this project is making Redesigning Women the single. Uh, I don't like it. It sounds kids bop. The singing is forced. And I think that the Redesigning Women, I mean, like, whereas High Woman, they kind of like, they set a really ambitious goal and they nailed it. I think the Redesigning Women thing, I can just see where that's, to me, it just seems like a turnoff. It seems like a bad way to get all of this kind of going. And if I look at the 12 songs, I put it at number 12 at how good it is. I understand them doing the song. I understand them putting it out because I'm a little bit more entrenched in the climate, I think, of country music right now right. And, and how it's going. I will defend this song a little bit from my stance that it's catchy as hell. It's It does not get out of your head unless you just really have a problem like you do, but yeah. it, does, it does not get out of your head. It reminds me a bit of like an 80s-style country anthem. Remember K.T. Oslin? Mm-hmm. 80s ladies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly... But speaking of 80s ladies, we could do a whole K.T. Oslin episode sometime. Well, let's sign me up. 
um, it's catchy. You can't get it out of your head. I think they were going for out of the gate, you know, to not hit us with this emotion of the high women song. I've been involved in a few album releases now and, and calculating singles and, and what you put out first and what you release because, you know, we should probably touch on this that used to be when an album came out, you just got the album and oh, yeah. you, you didn't know anything about it. You, you went in, you picked up that Neil Young record or, or whatever, and you put it on and you play and you absorbed it all as one thing. And now everything's so calculated. You know, you've got to have that single that comes out on your announce day. You've got to do the pre-sale. Then you've got to have two to three more songs picked to, to be released on iTunes and Spotify and, you know, the free digital downloads that mm -hmm. you get if you pre-order. So it's such a calculated thing that by the time you get some records, if they've just got eight or nine cuts on them, you've probably heard four before right, the album comes right. out, which I don't like. But I want to get that album and just like I did with this one, I would like to have heard all of these songs out of the gate. But I understand putting this one out first. Um I feel like that if someone like Reba McIntyre or Carrie Underwood put out this song as one vocal and singing it, it's a shoe in for country, today's country radio. I think if you take this song and you mess with the structure of it and give it one voice, mm -hmm. I think it could be a hit. I just think that the getting everybody in there type vibe of it. And like I said, like the chorus to me just sounds like kids bop and I like to listen to Kids Bob because I think that it's funny to hear how they take a Drake song and make it like 10-year-old friendly, you know, or a chain smoker <laughs> song about doing meth and they make it like, you know, it sounds like a pizza party. So I, to me, I believe in this project. I, I just, this was not the single for me, but I do understand that it, that it, it's hitting the the message with a bullseye, right? Like it's where they mm -hmm. want to be. I just, it, it's not for me. And I, I just got to give that opinion honestly. So you know right. how much the rest of it actually does mean to me. Right. And that's exactly why I, you were the perfect person for me to choose for this. I knew you would be honest and I knew it wouldn't just be, a, I don't like that. I yeah. knew it would be an educated opinion based on experience and based on, you know, that you have, an opinion about something that you have something to back it up with. And so I totally understand that it is not my favorite song on here mm -hmm. by any means. Um, I still don't turn it off if it comes on, you know, Spotify or, or wherever it's always in my playlist. I believe that in today's climate, this song should be being played on country radio right now. And I believe it's not. And, you know, one of the goals of this was to see if this would be played. And I think the fact that it isn't so far speaks volumes because you and I are looking at the quality of this record and, and it's not being played yet. Okay. Let's move on from that one to, um, loose change. Okay. That is one fe featuring a single, uh, vocalist, Marin Morris. Um, you know, I wasn't a huge, I've seen Marin Morris live and I've seen her on all of the performance and everything. And I wasn't like very super knowledgeable about her before, but I never really like, heard her voice well before and i think this is a good vehicle for her voice and it kind of won me over a little bit with this um i feel this song has like a like you said they've gone through the genres they've hit the high points we're learning things about country music with this record this is like classic early 70s melody it's got good wordplay it gives me like a that donna fargo lynn anderson feel to it uh maybe even like the olivia newton john country songs you know <laughs> that, that great country artist olivia um for example, a lyric, I'm going to be somebody's lucky penny someday instead of rolling around in your pocket like loose change. That's like a classic old country uh, turn of phrase, you know, 
those songs were known for that. They were catchy. They got in your head because of those things. It's also the, it's kind of what she does, but in this atmosphere, right? Because Mm -hmm. she has those sort of, those choruses that do a little bit of wordplay and mm-hmm. and are catchy. I mean, she. I, I often think about, you know, she's kind of the odd duck in this group mm-hmm. because she is so you know what mainstream. Ma- what mainstream country is all about the, the the pretty face, the blonde hair, the catchy songs, and I wonder when they landed her in this group if they're like. That's what we needed to finish this because we need one of those. You know what I mean? Like, even though she's a little bit more on her own, I feel like, you know what I mean? Like the other three, and tell me if I'm wrong, but the other three feel a little more Americana, a little bit more outsider, and she's a little bit more the mainstream. So I almost, in my mind, I feel like she was probably the fourth person to join because they needed somebody on the other side to legitimize this partnership. I could be wrong, but I believe she was the third person. I believe okay. Amanda, Amanda pulled in Brandy, and then Brandy said, and Brandy's a huge fan and cheerleader for Marin, and, and she said she wanted her in the project. And Marin started out a little more traditional Americana. She had a song called My Church, it was a huge hit. And uh, we saw her open for Chris Stapleton at the Ryman, and she it was a totally different image. It was more of the um, 70s type, the long you know, prairie girl dress, mm-hmm. not made up, not the big hair, not the glitzy, you know, outfits that she wears now. But, you know, people can evolve. She's allowed to do whatever she wants to For do sure. with her music and her career. And I believe that the fact that she is more mainstream and more well-known definitely draws a crowd to this that they would not have drawn otherwise. Yeah. But she isn't just bringing glitz to it. She's bringing some goods here. Uh, the vocals are great. Her, I, I enjoy this song, definitely. So... I think that Natalie was the fourth one to come in with the songwriting. So that was the key that they needed. But I, I, I do agree with you. I think that, that maybe it was a little bit calculated, but I don't know. I mean, maybe we can find out that later, but I'm not, I'm not going to speculate on why they brought someone in um, to fill out the four, the four roles. It doesn't even really line up with the original Highwaymen, but they said that wasn't their purpose. So. Well, I feel like if you want to capture women in country music, you know, this is kind of like, this is country music women's version of the Avengers. You need a little bit of everybody, right? Like you need, <laughs> yeah. you need people that can fight the war from all different angles. And I think that if it was all sort of brunette chicks uh, in Americana, they'd be like, well, they're just bitter outsiders that they, that they can't get into the, the, the spotlight. You get somebody in from the spotlight, you negate that argument because they're no longer that one thing anymore. Right. Well, let's move on to one of the tracks that I really do like a lot on this for many reasons. Uh, My name can't be mama. Oh, that's a country title right there. Fantastic song. I like this song all the way around. Uh, I commented, uh, I comment to everyone about it when I'm telling that I've been listening to the record that this could be, could have been a Laura Lynn cut. 100%. That would have been on her greatest hits. It would be one that she has to sing. Uh, at these shows even now in her 80s <laughs> it would be one of those along with fist city uh don't come home drinking my name can't be mama see that sounds like it should even be with the song <laughs> to me because the song's so visual what i saw connie is you know uh when you and i were kids they made like tv movies about country legends oh yeah and i imagine my name can't be mama i imagine them moving to LA and that old Tennessee uh, Chevy pickup going down the 405 and everybody else is in these slick, you know, 
uh, Japanese cars, but these country bumpkins, they're going down in their big boxy Chevy, three sitting three on the bench. And this song to me just sounded like, you know, we're going to go to the city. We're going to make a good thing out of ourselves. And to me, it was so visual. And I wrote down here that I, this is my note. I said, my name can't be mama. Love that rambling classic country sound. Like this to me is oh. such a visual song. And I love, I love that. Like sounds like it should be played in a country Western bar 24 hours a day. Oh, absolutely. This is a jukebox staple. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, I've, if I've got a jukebox in, in my place and we should touch on the fact that the backing band on this does consist of Jason Isbell, yeah. who is Amanda Shire's husband and the twins, Phil and Tim Hanseroth from Brandy's band. And I believe her drummer, and I'm not just a whole host of people that play Sheryl Crow plays on this, all sorts of guests, but they, those guys have chops and mm-hmm. they know the sound they're going for. They know the authenticity. You won't find probably a better historian of, country guitar maybe then jason isbel and it's just got that it's got that honky tonk swing to it and and obviously this is hitting a sweet spot for you and i because we're all the same age you know you and i these players like it we're all this is all kids pulling the references of what we were raised on Mm -hmm. yeah I, i i say it all the time i'm like i hate when somebody just compares something to something else but there's no quicker way for me to know if I like something than if you tell me this sounds like a Loretta Lynn song. Well, then I know I'm, I'm in, you know, you know, that's my sweet spot. You don't have to, I don't have to question. Um, it does touch on the subjects of the trials of having kids as a woman, being a mother and trying to live your life. And, you know, just as simple as going out for a night of fun, you know, when you're younger, you can sleep that off the next morning, right. not when you've got kids, no. you know, you've got to get up and be a mother. Um, Working on the road is a, a topic in here, uh, you know, touring and being a musician that all these women do and several of them have children. And so they know this. This is not like making up a country song or singing one that someone else wrote for them. They know these topics. Um, one of the quotes, it's not that I don't want to, but I don't want to today. Yeah. I still want to be a mother. I still value this. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I've got to I've got to do this other stuff. And if I don't do that stuff. I won't be any good at being your mother. One of the narratives of motherhood that I love and portrayed in TV and film is that, you know, um, uh, I would love, I would go out on a date with this guy, but I'm a mom now. And every date somehow is, is really close to being connected to my kid and I can't bring you home or I I can't, you know, and I love that. Like I can't date anymore. I'm a mom now. That's, and it's (laughs) such a good, like story hook that we've seen over and over again. This song kind of brought me to the rowdier aspect of, of what must be going through, you know, a woman in that position. Well, why don't you cue up that song for the uh, listeners and I'll let you decide where to cut this one off at because it's, it's, it's just so dadgum catchy. I'd sit here and listen to the whole thing. I mean, I ain't ever turning off a honky tonk song. <laughs> Oh, 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 
I just wanted you to keep that song playing, Mark. I mean, goodness gracious. Can we just run that through the whole background of the show? <laughs> I wish. That, that song's like if you if you drop into an episode of Alice or something. That That's playing in Flo's trailer. I know it is. But you know what? So, okay. Both being artists. Yeah. You know how hard it is to perfectly recreate the Sears Roebuck ad in the, in the back of a vintage yes. catalog. You know, you and I, we find an old Playboy. We don't just necessarily look at the photos of the ladies. We look at the ads when, you know, yeah. um, you know, men's leisure wear was created. So you look at an ad from 1968 and you try to recreate it and you end up putting too much of today into it. You overplay it. You overplay your hand, trying to make it look authentic and, and vintage. And sometimes you have to go too far so people catch on to what you're saying. This song sounds timeless. Like that yeah. little rough and tough and part that we played there for you, it could be a song that Momo played off yeah. of the the console stereo in the mm-hmm. mobile home. You know what I mean? In between trains rocking it because we were 10 feet from the train tracks. But it, it has that classic sound. Yeah, absolutely. The analogy you made there of trying to recreate something from the past is it's such a delicate balance. And if you don't really know and and feel what it is that you're trying to create, you'll go too far mm-hmm. or you'll just shortchange it and not give it the full, you know, treatment that it needs. So this one knocked it out of the park. I'm wondering now if this maybe had been the first single, what people would have thought. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it's almost the, the 12 songs really spans what I know about country music from all different angles. And that to me was one of the standout tracks just because it had such an attitude toward it. And, you know, one of the things I really loved about those women from the seventies, eighties country music is they were badasses. And, uh, you know, it seemed like the more, it almost feels like the more, um, those songs became about standing up and being a badass, the more they were appreciated. Oh, she's a feisty one, you know, like, and there wasn't a lot of those songs that, uh, were subservient. And so, I, I like that about those songs. I like the rowdiness of them and, and how those women both seem a little bit broken, but also strong from having gone through it all. Yeah, you know, the, the two most famous of that women from, from that era for me, um, Loretta and Tammy Wynette, mm-hmm. the songs were, they were strong women. And the songs were either feisty, like Don't Come Home a Drinking, yeah. you know, Fist City, or Tammy's, you know, signature stand by your man. Yeah. Which is still a misunderstood song for me. It was a radical thing to say, yes, he's a piece of garbage (laughs) or he's done wrong or he's treated me like shit, but this is what I'm choosing to do right or wrong. It's my decision. And so you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do kind of thing. So I don't think I've ever looked at it from that angle before. That it's a I, rebellious song and not a, like a going with the flow song. Yeah, I, maybe it's tainted because of my mother and father's relationship. Maybe I kind of like thought that my dad was like a scoundrel and, and wasn't the best guy yeah, in the world. Yeah, your dad sounds but, like a fucking legend. Is Every time you talk about him, I need to know more. <laughs> well, next time you come to Bollinger, you know, my dad lives here now. Oh, so yeah. There's got to be a meetup. Sit me down my, at the coffee table. <laughs> my dad and Momo would have oh, caused Jesus. some trouble together. Uh, you know... There were, you know, I grew up, we've talked about this before, I grew up with my mom going around to the to the taverns looking for my dad in the middle of the night. I was in the car in my pajamas <laughs> with a blanket, you know. That's some real hillbilly <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. And 
that kind of stuff. But you know what? I mean, they loved each other and it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't perfect and it wasn't always happy and it, it wasn't abusive. It was just the two of them being themselves, mm -hmm. but yet they had enough common ground and enough love to stay together. They were 45 years until my mother passed away. Wow. And so I guess I can see that song from kind of her point of view. It's like, yeah, I could cut and run on this, but I'm not going to. Right. There's, there's something there. So that's, that's my take on stand by your man. It's my Ted talk on that. But <laughs> That's a great Ted talk. <laughs> All right. I want to dive into one particular song here, um, Cocktails and a Song. Okay. That one's towards the end of the record. It's uh, sung by Amanda Shires. Uh, this song to me, um, it's about, I'll just have to break it down what it is about on this one. It's about a woman having a conversation with her father and he appears to be like terminally ill or has, has a disease. There. He's resigned to the fact that he's going to die. And, they sit down to have a discussion, you know, have cocktails and listen to some music. And this, this touched me because there's nothing, I mean, you and I have both dealt with grief. Everyone has, but sure. when, when you deal with grief around that, you already, you know, it's bad enough when someone just dies, but then when you, there's a long-term illness and someone is kind of fading yeah. on you, it's a different kind of grief. It's, it's like a training camp for grief. Like you go through all of those stages of it. And, but there's another person on the side of that. Who's, you know, generally doesn't want you to give up your yeah, life. Yeah. You know, and like waking up today and finding out that somebody that you love died, that hurts. Mm -hmm. But waking up today and finding out someone that you love is going to die in six months. That's a different kind of pain. And they mm -hmm. both have their ups and they both have their downs, you know, like there, yeah. there, there is, there is a silver lining to both and there is a downside to both. It's just, you got to get your head straight and, uh, a conversation like this, especially with someone who like your dad, I mean, that, that'd be a hard conversation to have for sure. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to touch about it on about this is Amanda Shires is the vocalist on this one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've listened to her for a while. I've seen her in concert, listen to her music. She has a very Dolly Parton um, character to her voice. And sometimes she can sing really um, quietly and low, and it almost feels like the music overpowers her. But in this song, she like really lets loose. It's mm -hmm. really dynamic. It's really forceful. And it's, um, I really like it. That's, that's my main thing about this is I really love the vocal performance in this song. It's got a lot of dynamics to it. And it's a strong vocal for such like a sad song. So I did want you to cue that one up if you can and just play just a little bit of it so that we can get a vibe for what I'm talking about. Cocktail and a song on WGAY Country Radio. me his bottle of tequila said time's running out we're gonna have to pretend it's a margarita it's a order of things it's a way it goes don't you look at me girl like i'm already gone the day is close it won't be long 
I love the sonics of that song. Yeah, I mean, you bringing out the point of her really opening up her vocal range on there. I think that it's a combination of the song so quiet that you can hear that Dolly Parton rasp that she yeah. has, mm-hmm. but then right in the dynamics of that song going up. I mean, that's, once again, that's paying tribute to another sort of classic thing that we know from women and country is that piano ballad and then with the heavy topic. And, you know, I've always said this and I've never meant no disrespect from it. I've always said that country music was um, therapy for folks that couldn't afford therapy. Mm-hmm. And I've Absolutely. always meant it in a, in a loving way because I am one of those people where there's a lot of people out there that are hardworking folks that just don't have the luxury of going to West Hollywood and meeting with their shrink and unloading you know, for an hour and a half at, at $500 a session. And so they get in their car and they drive home and they listen to country music and they sort of sort their shit out. And then when they get out of the car, they become mom and dad and they push their feelings aside because they got to get fucking dinner on the table for their kids. And that's how I was raised. And I know that was the where country music fet, uh, fell into my family dynamic. And so I've always respected that. This pays tribute to that type of song pays tribute to that kind of song um just in the way the other songs are paying tribute to those honky tonk songs you know yeah. there's those drinking and that honky tonk goes together and you know going out to the to the to the tavern to the club and hearing those kind of songs this is more introspective and you know people are going to cry in the car listening For sure. to this to this song but i love <laughs> me a good 18 wheels and dozen roses absolutely <laughs> <man>. <laughs> And, and you bring up that 18 wheels and dozen roses. I mean, there's so many of these songs, like you said earlier, I, I, I'm just hammering it home because I really hope that people will pick up this record. It's a little tourist guide through country music. It, it really is. So continuing on the tourist guide, let's, uh, let's pop one more um, Amanda Shires. And this one actually has Brandy singing on it as well. The Don't Call Me, mm. which is another type of country song that you know has has always been around the honky tonk song about turning the tables on somebody like a not so good lover or partner or or whatever you right. know like like you left me don't come back around you know <laughs> don't call me and Amanda's voice again on this one it's a feisty thing it doesn't really have the the same impact for me from the cocktail and the song but then Brandy slides in here on this one and, and gives it I love the two females on this when do we ever get to hear two females singing together on a song like this rarely yeah it hasn't like forever you know the old country version of this would have been like Reba McIntyre and Linda Davis that big huge song they had does he love you you know it always has to be like a dramatic uh, lovelorn kind of thing and this one's just a it's really reminded me of Erica Badu's Tyrone <laughs> in, in its theme you know like which is a classic in this house <laughs> oh for sure you better call Tyrone you know <laughs> yeah. You're kind of taking me on this voyage, and I think that you just nailed this album is that it's a tour through country music. And I think that the reason why I don't like redesigning women is it's a shout out to working nine to five, which is another song that I don't like. So I think that they're just taking me down the genre that I'm not a big fan of. Mark Bricky, did you just say you don't like nine to five by Dolly Parton? No, I didn't say I didn't like the movie. I'm just (laughs) saying that I don't like real kitschy songs like that. I mean, yeah, the first couple of times, oh, that's kind of cool. But then afterwards, it's like, I'm never sitting down going, man, I really want to listen to Ghostbusters. Like, I'm just yeah. not going to do it. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy 9 to 5 in a, 
along with the movie. When it comes on and those credits are going and all that, yes, it's the perfect thing for that. I'll give you that. So do you like On the Road Again? Because it's another one of those songs for me. I mean, yeah, I do, but I don't. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. just some of these songs and like Redesigning Women is like, a, like an instant classic to these is like there's some songs I'm like just let's just bury it in a vault not listen to it for 20 years and i'll be like yeah stairway to heaven is a great song but today i don't <laughs> want to hear anything about it yeah they kind of attain jingle status yes yeah like a five dollar foot long song don't ever want to hear <laughs> it's that a thing great again. song five dollar foot long is a great song and you could fit it to anything i just don't need to hear it today we'll put that one in your vault then <laughs> five dollar foot long um another couple of songs that i want to just touch on real quickly we, did we you want me to play, play don't call me oh yeah we skipped that i'm sorry yes let's let's let folks here don't call me just a, a little bit of it If Amanda Shires and Brandy Carlisle got stuck in uh, stopped by the Boar's Nest with the Duke Boys, yeah. this is the song they play at the Boar's Nest. <laughs> I love those. I love those commercial breaks on the Duke Boys when Waylon would come in. Everybody knows you can't put two into three without pieces left over, and then they would come back and they would go right back to the, the generally cruising in the air. <laughs> to me, Connie, that song sounds like Silk Fringe a swinging. Like I'm just imagining all those. You know, those silky shirts with the fringe hanging down, just yeah. swinging back and forth while they're just rooting and tooting. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. All right, I that's like a good some, look. I like me some fringe content. Um, then we've got The Wheels of Laredo. And this is a song from Brandy and her co-writing partners, the, the twins, as she likes to call them. Um, this also appears on the new Tanya Tucker record that Brandy and Shooter Jennings co-produced. Mm. And I had heard it, Tanya's version first. And what you know, that Tanya Tucker voice will just just drip all over something like honey, and you you it's perfect. Yeah. Then then I heard it on here, and two different versions of the song, both great. I like the inclusion of this one on here because it's a song of like longing for me, and no one does longing these days better than Brandy Carlisle. There's just something about her voice, the the songs that they're writing all together, her and her team. And it's very descriptive, and it takes its time to set a scene, like a good old movie will do. You know, now everybody's about the edits and the jump cuts and how much story can we pack into something and get you all over town in a movie. And this one, it's just the descriptions of everything that's going on in it. And 
like for instance starts off with the across the border in a not so distant land i mean where is that putting this you know are we talking about mexico here are we are we in a fantasy world like like what's what's going on here I don't necessarily want to play a, a clip from this one, but I just wanted to say this one of the songs that I did appreciate being completely different from the rest of the songs, I thought, and really featuring brandy and atmosphere in this one. And just great songwriting. Now, when are you going to talk about If She Ever Leaves Me? Well, that's that was Wheels Laredo was my last song that I was going to talk about before. We got to the gay stuff because every is, goddamn time you, you start talking about a song, I'm like, all right, this is going to be if she ever leaves me, and then you go to another one. And I'm like, this is your song, Connie. I, I had to I had to keep it for the finale, Mark. Yeah, you I, know, I trust me. I believe I love good storytelling, but you got me hanging over here on the on a cliff. <laughs> when I first heard that Jason Isbell and his wife and their writing partner Chris Tompkins had written a traditional cheating honky tonk song for this record. Mm-hmm. And then Jason had the idea, Brandy has to sing this, and she has to keep the pronouns the way they are. It's going to be a gay country song. I was so excited. <laughs> I could not wait. And they, on YouTube, it got leaked out um, from their Newport Folk Festival performance. And it's not a great recording of it, and it was really you know, hard to hear exactly what was going on. So when I got the record... It's the first thing that I listened to, of course. <laughs> you went straight to track, uh, straight to track six. Yeah, you went straight for the gay stuff, you know, as I, as I do. Um, it's, to my knowledge, the first mainstream gay country song by a major label artist on a major Nashville release. Now there are out country artists, um, Shelley Wright being one, but she was in the closet and then came out after her career was kind of on the on the downhill mm. and then has continued to work as an artist. And there are a lot of folks like that, yeah. but this is somebody at the peak of her career coming off three Grammy wins, uh, sold out concert tours, festivals, collaborating with all sorts of other artists, even more widely known than she is putting out this song on this particular album. And it's called if she ever leaves me. And that's just a, you know, it's a major event for folks who are interested in representation, uh, me being one of them and everyone that I associate with in, in my queer community or representation. Like, do I think this song's going to get played on the radio? No. Should it? Yes. It's the second best song on this record, in my opinion. I don't know where it falls for you. Well, once again, it's... So that's a high bar to shoot for, right? We're going to make the first ever like inclusive, like heartbreak mm-hmm. song. And they nailed it. I mean, the the great thing about this group is that when they go for something that they absolutely nail it. And I think that it's an amazing song. And it's like a lot of things um, in the gay community where there's a lot of sort of like subtle writing, you know, like, because mm-hmm. it you used to never be able to have like a, a a strong character that was just outwardly gay you kind of had to figure out the puzzle and you're like oh yep. i get Absolutely. it the third character out he's gay and that's why he's best friends with her and trying to help her find the guy you know i've spent my entire from young person to now life in that world of yeah. seeking out the tidbits the the crumbs and looking for the codes that you could see to find something that reminds you of yourself or something that you haven't seen before something to connect with. Yeah. 
right out of the gate. Here we go. No hemming and hawing around about it. It's not all four of the women singing this together. And then you're going, well, three of them are not lesbians. Right. Brandy is out lesbian, married, children, and singing this song in today's climate. And it's, a couple of lyrics that I really liked is, yeah. uh, that's too much cologne. She likes perfume. It's perfume. Oh, I know. And I that, wrote that one down too. <laughs> that's just that subtle sort of writing that we know with your community of, you know, it's not like, she's into fucking chicks, dude. It's like, nah, the cologne's not going to win her over. Yeah. She likes perfume. And then the other yeah. one is, if she ever leaves, if she ever leaves me, it won't be for you. Yeah, and I if she ever leaves me, it won't be for a cowboy like you yeah, too. Nice, yeah, yeah, nice I, little I, bit of swag put on it. I, I just love that sort of, you know, she's smart. She knows what's going on here, and she's obviously talking to somebody that's just missing the subtleties. And mm-hmm. you know, for you and I, we've enjoyed those subtleties, and we've talked for years about TV shows and movies where we're like, that's that's the gay character in there, you know, and to yeah. now. For those of you who don't know this, but I will send Connie text messages. Then the first text message is "gay stuff alert," and I'll be like, uh, "You, you got to go see X Men. There's there's a uh, two gay superheroes in there, X, or you got to watch this horrible season of Fear the Walking Dead because there's a standalone gay love story episode, which halfway through and I'm working and watching it because the show deserves only half my attention. If that, I go, "Holy shit! This is this is a woman on woman." love story broken heart love story that i'm watching on a syndicated cable tv show i gotta fire off a gay stuff alert text message <laughs> it's like in those old-timey shows where the the little thing that that runs the ticker tape out of it you know the little glass mm-hmm. thing and like mm-hmm. the alert comes in like that's you're on the other end of that for me and it's the gay <laughs> the gay ticker tape alert coming through and I, or like you're my gay bat phone one of those things <laughs> i love that being the gay bat phone you want to hear yeah. a little bit of this for everybody uh, absolutely. Let's let's roll it. I see you watch her from across the room, dancing her home in your mind. It takes more than whiskey. To make that flower bloom By the third drink You'll find out she's mine I've loved her in secret I've loved her out of love The sky hasn't always been
on our tourist trip through country music, this is our George Jones stop. Mm. Opossum. Opossum. I can hear the possum doing this song. You know, that song is so perfect and it's pacing and the, the lyrics and how it tells a story because at the heart of a country music is storytelling mm-hmm. it's one of the things i really love about it the songs are so visual it's not all this sort of like metaphoric you don't know what you're you know who is spoon man why is spoon man on this <laughs> journey does it really come together for the spoon man like you these songs are are vignettes they're they're little stories and that's where the country music comes from, you know, as a, a guy would go from town to town and he'd play songs and tell a story and then you'd hear that story and you'd tell, you know, the, the songs were mm-hmm. shared before there was the yeah. radio. And this song just really has all those classic nods to that. And it, it brings up something interesting to me is that if I were to go out to a bar and I'm out of town or whatever, and in this scenario, I'm not married and they're like, I'm like, oh man, she's really cute. And somebody's like, oh, that's her girlfriend. Well, to me... It's just like, oh, she's gay. That's cool. And my lust for her immediately stops. And she's just a gal at the bar. But this whole macho, like, I can convert her. I can get her back on the dick. It's like, I I hate that logic. So, oh, we lost a good one. Guess what? There's pr- there's plenty of women. Like, to me, yeah. once I know that, it's just like, oh, that's, just, that's a different genre of person. And it, it just all stops there. I can't imagine it not being that way for everybody else. Now, I don't know if it's an acceptance, unwillingness to to take a defeat, <laughs> that you're not going to win that over. <laughs> you aren't the guy that can turn women back around. Yeah. I don't know if it's an unwillingness to accept that or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that should probably be, I mean, in, in the same instance, would if somebody said, well, that's her husband sitting over there. Exactly. There's, there is no difference there. Girlfriend, wife, husband, she's in a relationship. It should it should stop there, but for, yeah, you're right. For some reason, a lot of men we just can't believe that a number one, an attractive woman would possibly not be into right, men. Right. It, it it must only be the unattractive women that have to go out with other unattractive women, <laughs> which is bizarre. But I think that also goes with that macho mindset of lesbians are part of your three way fantasy, which once again for me, I don't <laughs> see that either. I'm like, dude, they've made a solid decision to get away from dudes they do yeah. not need you in the middle of the, i know that you think you're god's <laughs> gift of vaginas but they do not need you in the mix no they've got it figured out over there probably absolutely. they're, doing just, they're absolutely. doing just fine you're only going to get your feelings hurt I, in this situation yeah, that's what straight girls do for attention <laughs> not what lesbians <laughs> do for fun no so yeah of course i looked forward to this song and i was hoping i was going to love it i was hoping i was going to be able to champion it and I absolutely can. Yeah, it's I mean, great. It'll be interesting once this uh, album is released into the world. Um, what feedback comes from this song? I mean, the whole album is going to get feedback, but I'm going to pay particular attention to this one. I really, I really want to know what's going to happen with this. I mean, it's an event. You know, this is this is an event for this song to be on this this record. The album is an event already, and then you put this extra layer in it, and I can't wait to. To see the response to it it's just know, a it's just a classic honky-tonk song again we keep saying honky-tonk yeah. but the fact that the subject matter then is flipped and it's a honky-tonk song i mean if this comes on in the local bar in nashville are people gonna just hear a good honky-tonk song or are they gonna hear that lyric and suddenly have a different opinion about it 
I'm curious for those kind of reactions. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, though, we live in a society where I don't know if anything breaks through to the other side, right? Like, yeah. this this album is going to probably be too risque for, you know, big country radio. So it's going to slide into the laps of folks like you and I that mm-hmm. were raised on country but are also socially aware and like, you know, like the Americana or No Depression movement. So, you know... It would be interesting to see something like this, like really break through and be the face of change. But maybe the reason why nobody in pop music is singing about anything that's happening on the headlines, and there's a new headline every day, like where's the pop music song that is uh, for dead in Ohio? You know, like people mm-hmm. are dying in shootings all the time, and pop culture has yet to respond to it. You know, everybody just turns the blind eye, keeps singing about dumb stuff, and keep making money because nobody wants to break their career. So um, it'll be interesting to see if there's anybody anywhere who has the balls to try to mix it up and get a little controversy going. My prediction is this album falls on deaf ears, but those of us that do hear it, will absolutely love it for what it is and recognize it as the piece that it is. You know, Connie, this might be one of those things where it doesn't really get its true deservance until 2029. One of those albums, 10 years later, people are like, oh, that was a moment in music that nobody stopped to pay attention to. Yeah, like they say in here, you've got to sow the seeds. So they're beginning to sow the seeds here. Yeah, they get that. And we probably won't see the garden of this, as you're saying, till later on. Um Hopefully there's enough folks like you and I, like-minded people who will be playing this around their house and their kids will be hearing it the way that we heard uh, Hank Jr., <laughs> Loretta, yeah, George Jones, you hope, uh, right? Dolly Parton, those things that stuck with us and stayed with us and influenced all of our taste in everything. Well, you got to think there's a couple of moms out there that are going to get onto this album and love the sort of the female spirit of it and they're going to play it in the car and how this gets digested by their son or daughter that's held captive on that 20 minute ride to the grocery store or the 30 minute commute to to elementary school i think that is where the seeds get planted right and how the little girl sitting in the back of the car starts actually listening to the lyrics when she's not looking at her phone on tiktok and goes this song about two women that are in love that's a possibility (laughs) for me yeah and that's one thing that I am super excited about is, you know, when I was younger, I searched for any kind of thing that I could identify with. So the fact that some little girl or little boy may hear this song and make them feel a little better about themselves and make them feel that all this stuff I'm feeling, somebody else is feeling it, writing songs about it, singing it, you know, it gets better, as they say. So how happy are you in your 40s that there's finally a honky-tonk love song that you don't have to change around pronouns and it's literally something that you've lived before? Just call me Two-Face over here because (laughs) I'm happy as hell about it that it's happening. I'm fucking pissed off that I spent 40 years of my life before this kind of thing was out there. I'm so jealous of the kids today. You know, with, with Butch and Sissy, and traveling to these conventions and and being on gay twitter and all of that stuff i'm just like you guys are like 18 19 20 years old or even younger and you're living in such a different world than i grew up in and i'm happy for you at the same time i'm jealous as hell i think that's natural though right because you know you've you've always had an outsider's mentality and and you've lived your life as an outlaw because you felt that way since you were a kid that 
that your feelings were different than everything else. Um, and I can understand that, you know, but you got to think that all of this is headed to a more gray future, right? Where everything's not so black and white and these are the rules. And, you know, we even seeing, you know, the headlines today while you and I are recording this is Miley Cyrus's relationship with her husband's over and on the rebound, she's with Brody Jenner's ex-wife. And, you know, whether that's a, a fling or a fingering, who knows, but that's the fucking headline, right? And that yep. just normalizes everything for everyone. So, you know, you got to yeah. think that today's kids aren't having to live in code and that's that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, they're less scandalized. Yeah, for uh, sure. Than, than we well, I'll tell you what's scandalizing is that I've had the first male guest on my Gay Stuff podcast. Finally, men can get work. Finally. <laughs> what, what's that thing from trans, uh, uh, Transparent? Man on the land. Man on the land. <laughs> <laughs> We've had that today with Mark. Mark Bricky is one of my dearest friends. Um, when the uh, Supreme Court ruling was passed where he knew that Stacy and I, after 25 years together, could get married, within maybe 10 minutes, Mark's texting me and he says, you know, I'm ordained and I'll go wherever you want. I'll come there. You come here. We do whatever. I will marry you. And I really want to do that. And I got really emotional when he sent that. And you know what? Mark did marry us. He uh, came here and uh, participated in our 25th anniversary party, which we also turned into a wedding. And um We've been great friends through our careers in poster design and the art world and then through podcasting. And then he just solidified that position for Stacey and I as being the person that married us. Uh, you know, the little hillbilly punker kid from Louisville that came and, and married us. Yeah. <laughs> so I want Mark to tell you all about his podcast so that you can um, go over and experience that because it is a really great podcast for anyone looking for to design happiness into their life. Well, first off, the ability to speak at your wedding, you know, when you're doing public speaking, and I've done a lot of it, you're always trying to figure out how to win the crowd over. And to be at the 25th anniversary, which doubles as a wedding, and it's the first time historically that you guys were allowed to get married, you gave me the, like, it. it's just basically like, just hit the ball and we got to guarantee that it's going to go over the fence and you're going to have a home run. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I really stressed out on how to tell that story and how to do it, but it really, in a weird way, because you and I are such great friends, it became a story, I, I looked at Stacy as sort of the catalyst for that story, you know what I mean? Because in many ways, you're so well known and you've gone from genre to thing to thing. You're a dreamer just like me, but a dreamer needs somebody with an ounce of reality behind them to make it all happen. Absolutely. And, she, uh, has, she has been uh, my root for a really long time absolutely she is the absolute backbone of everything and so i thought that that even that brought it down to a way where people could even look at your relationship in a way anybody who's in that room and was having a hard time seeing woman to woman i thought that that was the way that made it the ultimate love story so thank you so much for letting me be a part of that that is still to today my favorite time that i've ever used my ability to stand up and talk in front of people that and speaking at momo's wedding when i can't or momo's wedding momo's funeral <laughs> Momo was never married. When I came, when I spoke at Momo's funeral, I got to open up with the line of, uh, hello, my name is Mark Bricky Jr., and uh, I'm Phyllis Bricky's favorite grandson. 
because I'm her only grandson. <laughs> it was like won everybody over. But my podcast is is simple. For the last 1,010 episodes, I put out 200 a year. I've been on this journey of what does it take to turn your daydream into your day job. And, you know, I think the new version of the American dream is we're not all promised houses. We're not all promised vacation homes or boats uh, or even vacations anymore as the world changes and um, accelerates with so much more media and so much more things that are happening that the American dream is sort of changing. And I think the one thing that a lot of us will have over our parents that had all these material possessions that we might not be able to get, especially folks that are younger than me, is that we can take pride in what we do for a living. And I think that a lot of people in today's world, more so than ever, your job is who you are. And it's just not like, well, what do you do for a living? It's like, I am a graphic designer, or I am a programmer, or I'm an IT guy, or I'm an entertainment lawyer. And I think that, you know, it used to be, well, I work, but I'm a father of three, or I work, I'm a stay at home mom or a housekeeper mom, whatever the fuck they call it. And I think today, that's just not the case that everybody one way or the other is trying to pursue their their dream whether it's something as outlandish as trying to be a professional youtuber or a musician or an artist or run your own taco truck we capture that adventure every day and connie's one of my reoccurring characters where the people that i really love i try to bring them on the show as often as possible because the more you know about two people and the more you know about their relationship the more that it matters to you and so even the littlest victories or the smallest defeats become such a great storyline when you're completely invested in those people. So Connie and I's relationship has been documented hours and hours and hours on uh, <laughs> Adventures in Design where you can find me over on iTunes. The good times, the bad times, the low times have all been on your show of my career. But Connie's such a good friend and she loves content so much. And that's what I want to tell her audience is that this woman will do anything for entertainment, including sending me a text like, I think my business is getting ready to fall apart, and we're willing to come up to Louisville and sit in a hotel room with you if you want. <laughs> so I was spending time with my dad in Kentucky, because I now live in Los Angeles, and I said, Dad, I, yeah, after we eat dinner tonight, I got to go meet some friends at a hotel over in Louisville. <laughs> and holy shit, probably the best episode of Adventures in Design that really sort of captures the struggle of, you know, it's one thing to be a dreamer. But it's another thing when you got to let reality shine through and say, maybe this dream's over and mm -hmm. it's time to dream a new dream. And we perfectly captured that conversation sitting in a small hotel room with her and her business partner and getting back to Stacy being the backbone. So there's not a lot of people that I fear in this world, but Stacy's <laughs> one of them. And I was so worried that if I pressed too hard on Connie, that Stacy was going to leap right over and whip my ass. And I was like, if, if, if Stacy blows up tonight, this is all over for everyone. Um, but what a what a magic recording that was. It was. And when you say that we're both dreamers, yeah, I was I was living one type of dream, but our dreams sometimes die out and they have to become something else. And that episode of that podcast where we just kind of let the world in to yeah. our dirty laundry was so freeing and let me realize that what I had been doing for twenty years is not what I wanted to spend the next twenty doing. Which is totally fine. It's absolutely fine. I needed something to let me know it was okay because I was almost at the state of an emotional breakdown trying to keep living something that I didn't believe in anymore. 
and that wasn't making me happy. But you'd fallen into a trap where you're supposed to consider yourself so fortunate to have a dream come true. But it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. And so mm-hmm. as I've gone on this journey and I've now interviewed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of creative professionals of all walks of life, I've really come to appreciate the life pivot and the career pivot. And I've come to appreciate more things like the high women when four women that are completely successful go, you know what, let's take on another project. Let's show yep. the world a different version of us. And, uh, you know, I think largely they'll be celebrated for taking this chance, but they're going to take a couple of dings along the way and they might lose a couple of fans along the way, but if it fulfills them, then that's part of the journey. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from this record for me is that they didn't have to do it. Careers are just fine. They don't, they don't need to open themselves up to this skepticism and criticism and lay it all out there, but it's probably going to lead to more dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no way well, that there's not a young woman 20 years in the future, 15 years in the future, 10 years in the future that doesn't cite this album as something that gave her the belief that she needed. Well, Mark, I'm going to leave it with the dreamers and uh, hope that we, we let some people in on some information here and a little more information. Where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me at my website, which is AID.network, or you can find the podcast over on iTunes. You can find me at Gay Stuff Podcast on Twitter, and you can also uh, look up butchandsissy.co for all of my uh, LGBTQ-related products. And Mark, it's been a pleasure. I am so happy that you decided to get out of your comfort zone and come over onto my show for a little bit. And I Please. hope I, uh, I hope I did a good job for you, and that you haven't been uh, been uh, dying over there. Please, the to to play so to re- reverse the roles and to be the straight co-host on the gay show versus it's always been the other <laughs> way around. Anytime, anytime, and I wore my best paisley jacket to do this. I, I do though. I do have one last parting question for you. Sure. You know, it'd be very wrong for society to rank these women on beauty because that would be talking down to them. But I would love to hear a woman rank these women on beauty. Do you think that you could do that? Um, I'll take one for the team and say that I love all of these women. They're all, <laughs> they're all beautiful women. They're all beautiful souls. They're all beautifully talented, creative, <laughs> intelligent women. You know where my heart lies here with Miss Brandy Carlisle. She's the one you're taking home? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Got to meet got to meet her recently. Was a highlight for me. We got to talk about Joni Mitchell, which was I mean, it's really a gay thing to happen. The two of us to meet up and then start talking about Joni Mitchell songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonder a rainbow strike lightning strike didn't happen right there <laughs> in that spot when that happened. <laughs> All right, Mark, I hope to see you soon on your podcast. Maybe you'll call me in to talk about something uh, soon so we can spend some more time together. This has been great. And um, all right, ladies, folks, gentlemen, thank you for um, sticking with us. Bye. Bye.